If you enjoyed this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at If Vines Could Talk. We believe Michigan makes great wine. It's an up-and-coming region, already producing world-class award-winning wines. Our mission is to enhance the prestige of Michigan wine and help the world learn more about all we have to offer. Welcome to podcast number 22. Gunnar Olson is my guest today. Gunnar is the owner and winemaker at Baroda Founders Wine Cellar. Join us as we talk about all the things going on at Baroda Founders and as we take a trip down memory lane to talk about Gunnar's dad, Leonard Olson, and his pioneering contribution to the Michigan wine industry. Pop open a bottle of Michigan wine and follow along. Len Olson was truly a pioneer in the Michigan wine industry. He was the founder of Tabor Hill Winery, that enterprise starting in 1968. At the end of Prohibition, several wineries opened in Michigan. It wasn't for another nearly 40 years that the next one opened, Tabor Hill. Len's last winery adventure was Baroda Founders Wine Cellar, which opened in 2009. Sadly, we lost Len in 2014, but his son Gunnar has taken the reins he has kept his father's legacy alive and is a key player in our local wine industry. Gunnar joins me today to talk about history, his winery, and his perspectives on our industry. Welcome to the show, Gunnar. Thanks for taking time to be on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me here. Great to have you. So maybe just take a minute and introduce yourself a little bit more for the group, for the audience. All right. Well, like you said, my name is Gunnar, and at Baroda Founders, I'm the winemaker with our assistant, Davino. We do all the winemaking together. Also the owner, so everything else, I also do all the cleaning. Before that, I ran restaurants and bars in Chicago. So I, we moved back in 03 when my ch- ch- children were young, and we wanted to get out of the city. Kind of full circle, my father did the same thing when I was two. He moved up to start Tabor Hill. I moved back here to start a winery, and then my father moved back, and I joined him at the winery in 2010. Oh, cool. So you came in 2003, you came over to start a winery? No, I, I came back and had a restaurant. I, ah, I, I had the, the Established Supper Club. The establishment? Yes. Ah, cool. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but in 2010, my father opened in 2009, and by 2010, he'd been working on me and talked me into joining him for harvest in 2010. So that's when we, I made the switch. Wow. So talk a little bit about how that background in the restaurant industry helped prepare you to run a winery. Well, there, there's a lot of similarities, uh, but also a lot of things, advantages of the winery is, well, making wine, you don't have to do it at 2 in the morning like you do in the bars of Chicago, 4 in the morning. Also, the winery, people come in and take tastings. It's like, we're, it's more, 
instead of people just drinking at a bar, we're supplying them with information about the wines that they're drinking. There's a lot of similarities and little nuances that are different. So, mm-hmm. so it, it it's pretty. There's some similarities. Yeah, it's you know it's entertainment. Right. Yeah, it's entertainment. But what I hear you saying is that in many ways it's a little bit easier, right? It, it is easier. Most yeah. you know, well, there is no food to deal with, mm-hmm. which is great. We do have some wonderful pretzels to clear your palate, but that is the extent of our food at the at the winery. Right. And when people come in, they want to learn and taste good wines. And we try to inform and teach people as they, they drink our wines, the type of grapes they're having, how the wine was made, and various aspects. So we actually try to guide them a little, but also not give up too informa- too give them too much information so they can actually, their taste histories are different than my taste histories. We let them kind of try it, and, you know, we just guide them with, if they're a sweet wine drinker or a dry drink, you know, explain to them what our wines are and how they might compare to the stuff what they're used to having. Right. Got it. Well, that's cool. So there's an education component of yes. being in the wine industry that you didn't have right. in the restaurant and certainly not in the bar industry no. in Chicago. I, we don't have to sit around and explain how Budweiser is made. No, <laughs> absolutely. So let's, uh, let's, Step back in time a little bit. You and I talked many times about our shared history. Um, yeah. And I know you were very young when your dad started to real. You were like, what, two when you moved over? Yeah, we, we moved up when I was two full time in uh, November of 69. And I said it was a, the next day was a, it was a snowstorm when they moved up. We moved up here. So the real early years, when they were first planting the grapes, I we have to take everyone's word for it. <laughs> I remember more a little later when, when the winery was up and running. Because my, I was actually, my, my first job, I started working at the winery when I was in third grade. Uh, my job was to put the, the caps on the bottles on the bottle of the wine. The foil. The yeah, foil put the foil caps, cap yeah. on. Oh, wow. That was my brother and I's our job. And we were talking time. a little bit earlier. I think we overlapped a little bit because I worked for your dad from... Like September of 73 to about May of 75. Yeah. Because then I actually jumped ship to go work for Carl. Oh, yeah. Um, so we may have been in the bottling room together, but I don't remember. Yes, yeah, it's been a little, It was, and it's funny how things have changed. Like back then, everything, each machine was individual and it was handed over. It was, there was now like, like everything's on conveyor belts and the semi-automatic bottling and mm-hmm. and each person had a station back then. Yep, I remember those days. Yes, I had my station. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Any other memories from? And I know I know you were too young to have memories of the early early years, but you know the whole decade of the nineteen seventy. Yeah, I well. You know, I, re- I remember when we they first built the addition for the big cellar, which is now uh, the tasting room for, for Tabor Hill. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, their cellar has moved down to a bigger facility and they used the, the second cellar 
is now uh, their tasting room. It looks really beautiful. Yeah, I've been down there. It's nice. Yeah. And that's and that's underneath the restaurant, right? Yes. The dining room. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, so that I remember the the original big cellar being built. Actually, I was on top of the cellar. That was my brother and I's our football field. Oh, cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah, cool. I remember that. Um, I think I started working there after that was completed, but I think it had just been completed. When the, the big cellar the was big cellar. completed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, re I remember when they broke through the wall from the little cellar, and to see how small the little cellar was, it's amazing how anything was able to really get done there. It was really small. How I remember the big cellar being built, and they brought in the wine the tanks, and um, I also remember the one of the cooler things, which one harvest, they were up harvesting until two in the morning because machinery likes to break down when you're really busy. So they were still, my father and the winery guys were harvesting at like two in the morning. My father came and woke us up to check out the Northern Lights. Oh, wow. It was really cool. And uh, So I started in September of 73, and I was there for that first harvest. And I can remember working one night, very late into the night. And I don't know how they pulled it off, but like at two or three in the morning, they brought in pizzas for us to eat. I don't know where you're getting pizzas at two o'clock in the morning in Baroda. The tap, Bill's had great pizza. At two in the morning? He, he probably called and got, Bill probably sat there and waited for Lenny to show up. Wow. Yeah, well, your dad was pretty plugged in, so no, no yes. question about that. What uh, what insights can you share about your dad's vision for what uh, for what he wanted to do? His passion for this business. As we were talking about earlier, my my father was a sales steel salesman, and his business route was twelve and Blue Star Highway. And at that time, our cousin Billy. And them started drinking wine, and they started talking themselves into believing they could make their make the wine also. And they lived in. Uh, they they still lived in the the south side of Chicago, Hyde the Park. South Shore. Right. Yeah, just south of Hyde Park. Okay. And uh, so uh, the land you actually might know more about this, but they found the land in '68. We moved up in 69 after they started planting the fields. At that time, no one, you couldn't, you couldn't plant wine grapes. No one, you could only, it was only Concords and Niagara's, but they didn't know any better. And they actually proved that you could grow wine grapes here in Michigan and be quite successful. Well, and this is a topic where we have something in common, or at least our fathers did. Yeah. Right? I have documented in my father's journals where he was the first person, and nobody's disputed me on this, he was the first person to plant Chardonnay on the property that is now the Round Barn Estate. Right. And that was in 68. But in 69, your dad planted, and this is documented in the history books, your dad planted the first Chardonnay commercially that made it, you know, that Yeah, and here's a, uh, another neat thing. My father, Chardonnay, from Tabor Hill, was in a wine competition in D.C., and it won a gold medal. Oh, 
and uh, so did the Chardonnay from Chateau Montalena. It was like 1974 or 75. A year later, they did the Paris Summit, and that's where Chateau Montalena beat the French Chardonnay. This uh, Chateau Montalena, California? Yes. Uh, It's the movie Bottle Shock is about. Oh, right, right, right. And a year earlier, the two of them, the Tabor Hill and Chateau Montalena, were the gold medals for Chardonnay. Yeah, that's cool. This is 75. 75, and 76 is when they had the Paris Summit at the Chateau Montalena proved that California wines were just as good as the French. Right. And... The year earlier, we proved our Chardonnay was just as good as the California Chardonnay that won it. And this was 50 years ago. Yes. Yes. It's a little frustrating, frankly, because we were making some great stuff back then. Yes. And we're making even greater stuff now, and it's just hard for us to get on the map. You know, nobody right. really pays us any attention. But it's coming along. Uh, we have some really great winemakers in the area now, and more and more people are noticing that we have a great wine region. I mean, we have the best climate to grow wine. It's right on par with the French and with our big body of water. It's a really great growing region. Right. I think people don't realize what Lake Michigan does for us. Yes. We have this massive, I call it a national treasure. Yes. Lake Michigan. Little piece of trivia. It is the largest body of water uh, contained within one country. Right? And it's the only natural freshwater sand dunes. Right, exactly. And all that is helps keep our climate temperate. Yes. So we don't have the harsh winters, we don't have the harsh hot summers, and the grapes thrive in this area. Yep, they sure do. Well, actually all fruit do. That's why we're the fruit belt. Right. Well, and we've talked about on this podcast, in earlier episodes, we've talked about the great biodiversity that we enjoy here in Southwest Michigan. And, you know, we can grow just about anything here that you can grow anywhere else in the world. And we do, with the exception of citrus. Right. Um, But pretty much everything else we can grow here, from asparagus to apples, um, grapes to squash to tomatoes and every kind of berry you can imagine, and yes. I used to love strawberries. And I started having strawberries when I was in Chicago. I'm like, I don't remember these strawberries. Well, I discovered it. I was used to having fresh Michigan strawberries where they're red full all the way through and not... When they're picked. Yeah, and they're not hollow and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. And I think think we still, some of us, take it for granted. Let's, uh, let's fast forward to today and maybe talk a little bit about your dad's vision and, and yours, too, for starting and keeping Barota Founders. Yeah, so my father was actually down in Kentucky. He had a winery down there. He moved down in Kentucky around 2000, and it was right when the tobacco lawsuits were settled and the farmers down there had to look, move their fields into new products. So they started growing grapes. My dad was one of the first wineries down there and he kind of helped Kentucky set up their wine industry. But by 08, our kids were getting older and he was kind of missing the family, so he moved back. And actually, he was only going to start the winery to make the first kiss that we we saw, Mm -hmm. which is the chocolate dark chocolate and raspberry 
red wine. He was just going to sell that retail or uh, wholesale. But when he we found the he found the location, immediately like, well, this space would be perfect for a tasting room. And then quickly it went from just doing first kiss to doing several other varietals and now we we do about 20 different wines ranging from our cap franc and dry reds dry whites of chardonnay and the different hybrid grapes to our first kiss and schmerlot which is a milk chocolate and marshmallow flavored chocolate wine and then we have a couple free wines so we have wine for every palate he went from just one thing he, he's He's always been that dreamer seeing a bigger picture. He was quite a visionary. I, I do remember that about him. Yes. One thing that strikes me really funny now was when I was probably fifth grade, and there was only seven wineries open at the time in Michigan. He's like, someday there'll be 50, 60 wineries here. I'm like, sure, Dad, whatever you say. And now we have 100 the 200 wineries? Yeah, it's almost 200. I think now. it's 200 wineries now. Yeah. I think it depends on how you count them, but yes. Right. So you started to mention the products, and, you know, our listeners know that I'm probably more of a fine wine snob, if you yes. will. Um, but your Cap Franc is, uh, is one of my favorites. I really like that. It's a nice product. Yeah, yeah. I Actually, that's one of my favorite go-to wine, especially when we're eating dinner. Uh, so we don't have our own vineyards. Uh, when my dad opened the wine, the uh, Broad Founders, his, I would always tell people, he doesn't buy green bananas, he's not waiting three years for a crop. We have all these farmers that do such a great job, we can just get them from the local guys. So all our grapes come locally, but the Cab Franc, literally comes right down the street from us, from our friend Glenn. Oh, great. And that's where we get our Cap Franc. Now, next year, we'll get some great Cap Franc from Davino. He's got some vineyards. Oh, your winemaker, your assistant winemaker. Yeah, mm-hmm. co-winemaker. Mm-hmm. And he's he's got some vineyards out near Milburg. Oh, okay. His, right. his, we use his grapes for Vidal. And uh, next year... Once the season goes well, we should have some Cab Franc and Chardonnay from them. Great. But yeah, all our all our grapes, we only get them from the local wineries or wineries vineyards right here in Berrien County. So you're not buying any West Coast fruit. No. Not even when we have a bad year, like 2019, uh, we had that polar vortex. Uh, we were able to get local wines. Um, 2012. Was, that was the first polar vortex? I think so. Mm-hmm. Was close, but 2011 was such a big year that we were able to only have a small harvest, a local product, and still use 2011 for a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. we haven't had that problem, thank That's God. Good. So, side note, the oldest Michigan wine that I have in my wine cellar is the 2011 Baroda Founders Cabernet Franc. All right. Yeah, and I have about, well, I've been drinking it, but uh, I think I have about four or five bottles of it left. So. Oh, well, I know we have one case left, and Chris, you put it aside for you. I think I bought I think you already got it. I think it, I picked it all yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
So thank you for that. Sure. Right now we have our 2020 that's really good. And I expect this this last year, 2022, was a great harvest. Now those won't be ready for two years, but they're, well, probably a year from now. Mm-hmm. And But those were tasting really good when we put them in the barrel to age. It's beginning to look like, uh, so we had, in my opinion, we had three really good years in a row, 20, 21, and 22. It looks like 20 is the best of the three, but yeah. 22 is going to be pretty good. So far, 23 is shaping up to be pretty yeah. nice. We should have a really good year. Good, good. Well, great. So let's talk a little bit more about the tasting rooms. At the beginning, you told us about the experience that people can expect when they come to a Baroda Founders yeah. tasting room. So, yeah, we have two tasting rooms, one in Baroda, uh, right? Our winery is right in town. Uh, it's on the back side of the Baroda City Mill. And that's where we make all the wine. But we also have a pretty large tasting room there. And then we have a smaller tasting room right in uh, St. Joe on State Street. So if you're in town shopping, you can stop in and have a taste. So you just have, you have the two? Just the two. Okay. Did you have another one at one point? Or? No. no. We, uh, we talked about New Buffalo, but there was never anything that, uh, space that came that was right. Another piece of trivia is that the winery and the tasting room in Baroda used to be a Buick deal. Yes. Was, yes. Was, and so... I remember that. The, the tasting room and the cellar are one of the service bays of the old Buick dealership. Isn't that something? Yes. Yeah. Who would have thought? But 50 years ago, you know, these uh, car dealerships were... Little ones were everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, now they're fewer and farther between. What is your favorite Baroda Founders wine? In general, I, I do enjoy, do love drinking a Cab Franc and our Married in the Vineyard. Unfortunately, Married in the Vineyard, we don't always have in stock. Mm-hmm. But our Cab Franc, I love, especially with dinner. Our Luce del Sole, mm-hmm. which is the light of the, light of the sun in Italian. It's a great, great summer afternoon wine. But we actually just released our Covert's, a dry Covert's Traminer that is wonderful that I'm also enjoying right now. I'm going to have to come on over and try yeah. that out. And we and we also just released our new Riesling for the year. It's off dry. It's only a half percent residual sugar. The flavors in it, it feels like it's a lot, it's got a lot of honey flavors in it, so it feels sweeter than it actually is. So it's it's been a fun wine to taste. That'll be interesting. Yes. Where did the fruit for that come from? Coverts we got from up near 12 Corners area. Okay. And the Riesling, I am not sure. Okay, no problem. I, I don't, I don't have my, the, I can't, I, my memory is not as good as it used to yeah, be. It's one of those nerdy questions that yes. I ask because I'm really interested in the terroir and how that impacts the yes. um, profile of the wine. It's interesting for me. What lies ahead for Verota Founders? What new and interesting things are coming down the pipe that you can share with us? Like I said, last year we had a great uh, season and a very bountiful. So we have some new varietals. We're going to have a, a Marquette coming out. Mm-hmm. Marquette's a wonderful north, uh, cold climate grape. And we have a little Pinot Noir that'll be coming out. Only 25 cases, but it, it tastes wonderful. So we'll have a couple new varietals coming out. Great. And uh, just 
for again frame of reference what is your annual production roughly cases we do about 2500 cases okay. we also bottle for and make wine for other places oh so we have a bigger capacity but for our own supply we are about 2500 cases 2500 cases for a group of founders yeah okay Cool. Obviously, people can go to the tasting rooms. They can buy your wines there. Where else can people buy? Brood? So you can always order online at, at our website or broadfounderswinecellar.com. And then we do have a little few spots, like in Grand Rapids, you can get wine, our wine at Total Wines and More. Mm-hmm. And then there's three other Total Wines and More in the Detroit area, Ann Arbor, Novi, Sterling Heights, that we also, they also carry it. Okay, cool. So you mentioned the, the website, barodafounders.com. Uh, are there other ways that people can engage with you, social media? That's yes, right. we do have our Facebook page. Actually, we have two, one for our St. Joe Tasty Room and one for our downlet in Baroda. So you can always message us. Okay. Especially if you have a big group coming in, you can always call us or messenger us for, to reserve space for, for us. Okay, great. Well, Gunnar, this has been great. I've enjoyed the uh, the trip back in history with you. Yes. Sharing a little bit about that. And I enjoyed hearing a little bit more about what's going on at Baroda Founders these days. So thanks for taking time to be with us today. Thank you for asking me here. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast if Vines could talk on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If Vines Could Talk comes to you from Vineyard View Recording Company in Baroda, Michigan. Produced, edited, and hosted by Steve Salisbury. Narration by Sarah Spoonholtz. Copyright 2023.